This is episode 86 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your hosts, Tim Bowen. You know, a press release ultimately is just a press release. And Steven Johnson. Unquestionably a very strong, tall, handsome man. <laughs> Today, Tim talks SEC filings with the one and only Michael Good. Any publicly traded company that's registered with the SEC, they have to file quarterly financial reports that include profit, loss, you know, a balance sheet. And this episode is jam-packed full of great information like this. That's going to help you maybe be a little more certain in your short, but the price action and having a good trade plan around how the stock trades. And this. You have all these potential things that can go together. Price action, volume, news, whether it's like there's likely to be an increase in the share supply, all that uh, matters. And did Michael just say share supply? Do you love sappy power ballads from the 80s? And do you love trading penny stocks? Then you'll absolutely love this. Tim Bowen of the Steady Trade Podcast presents the very best of share supply. I'm all out of shares. I can't show without you. That's right. The sad sting of lost love and bad trades never tasted so sweet. Especially when you find that one perfect ticker. You're, You're every ticker in the world to me. You're my fantasy. I buy in red and sell in green. The very best of Share Supply, featuring Tim Bowen. And if you don't get the joke, ask an old person. Lost all my shorts and I can't trade now. Didn't follow my plan. I gave it to FOMO. Chased it around when I really should just cut my losses. My timing is terrible. Anyway, Tim's got a new segment for you called This Week in Steady Trade. You'll hear that in a second, right before his discussion with Michael Good. But first, let's dip into the listener mailbag. Today's question comes from Rodrigo Hercules. Yes, that's right. Rodrigo Hercules. I was wondering, do you guys think that the day trading slash penny stock day trading market has become oversaturated in the past few years with all these quote-unquote gurus and you know day traders who are promoting their courses and all that kind of stuff do you think that this has become an oversaturated market uh, rodrigo higgles that was a great question from unquestionably a very strong tall handsome man and basically the question was for the listeners uh, do we feel like the market is getting a little bit oversaturated with users, which which is a, a kind of a, a fair a fair guess with the age of the internet and the fact that anyone can kind of jump into the market uh, with a laptop and a and hundred bucks? And the other part of the question was, is it oversaturated with kind of gurus and furus and and kind of these big chat rooms who maybe can influence penny stocks? And I would say. The more volume, the better, baby. The more volume, the more volatility, the more chat rooms, the more furus and gurus, the more people. Rodrigo, you know, I appreciate the question, but, but the worst part about this question is I hate it when I 100% agree with Steven Johnson. There, are, there <laughs> nothing sticks in my craw more than when I bring him on. 
bring yeah, the yeah. bring the volume, bring the furus, bring the gurus, bring the ninety five percent of people who follow the the tweets and the the alerts of the furus and gurus. Because if you know what the hell you're doing, you will bank. And the more losers in this world, the more winners there will be too. And you will be one of those winners, Rodrigo. You've already got the name that epitomizes it. Yeah, I mean, really, the beauty of markets are the more participants, the more volume is, it's, it's more volatility. So that's what we want. You, in my opinion, you cannot, you know, overcrowd the day trading market. I mean, look at, look at all of the crypto day traders that came in last year. I mean, there is, it is an amazing time for speculation, which is great for longs and shorts. So bring in more, 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 more. I mean, I talk about, um, I call it kind of the dark days. It was like 2012 to probably 2013. We did not nearly have the volume or the moves we've had the last three years. I mean, I remember when a 20% gainer trading a few million shares were like, holy cow. Now we get some of these, you know, low float stocks that'll trade 50, 60 million shares and move. I mean, we've seen thousand percent runners. It's not unusual. So, yeah. um, no. short size. yeah. And, and the one aspect of where I would agree with you, Rodrigo, when you mentioned, has it gotten crowded? This is the one thing. And I think, actually, I think it's a great thing. Yes. We have gotten very crowded on the short side of these momentum stocks. Uh, you know, again, I know I'm the dinosaur. I remember when it was practically impossible to get shares to borrow of 90% of these stocks. I mean, we would go weeks with like, oh, here's another one, can't borrow. Here's another one, can't borrow. The beauty of last couple of years is practically anybody can get a borrow. And that's what ignites these short squeezes because the shorts get overly excited and they start start in early. And that's why we get two, three, four hundred, five and thousand percent runners. So um in summary, I don't think you could ever have too much volume. You could never have too much too much market participants. And the one place where it has gotten crowded is on the short side, and that's great. Thanks for that question, Rodrigo. And now this week in Steady Trade. Welcome back to this week in Steady Trade. Today I'd like to talk about the difference in perception and reality, uh, something that pretty much all traders, investors, whether long-term or short-term, need to gauge and kind of control, is that difference between what what the price of, of say, it's a stock or an overall index or an ETF or a cryptocurrency or any of these instruments that we trade, the difference between the price action and the news flow. Uh, we've seen that, and, and I kind of want to focus on an article this week in Barron's talking about a lot of the uh, kind of the numbers that haven't been that great, um, especially kind of into the end of the year. And, and we saw that with the Dow and the SPY really dropping hard in, in the beginning of December and hitting the lows uh, a Christmas Eve, actually, the December 24th was at the point we hit the lows and a lot of negative data that, that is now coming out as I record this at the, in the kind of the middle to the end of February now. And we've seen that if you bring up a chart of say the SPY, the, or the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, we've been, the mar- overall markets have been up. <sighs> 
practically every day. I mean, I see just quickly looking at the chart on my screen, half a dozen red days in the overall market. You know, and we're now roughly, you know, 30, 40 trading days into the year and, and just a handful of those have been red days. And when they were red, very barely red on the day. So almost green every day, despite the fact that we see a lot of this negative news. And, and one of the numbers was the uh, retail sales number in December, um, that was down based on ec- economist forecast, of course. So, so you've got to take into consideration when you see this news, it's, it's just because the number isn't as good as what somebody predicted. You know, sure, these guys are smart. Sure, they're educated. They've got experience, but they're just guessing on these projections. And the market can often react quickly to these misses, much like with earnings. If, if you trade earning stocks, you know that sometimes a stock can be, a, a company can be wildly profitable, see great numbers, but yet the the price of the equity drops when the earnings come out because the market expected more. So when I see these numbers, like like the retail number that comes out that this lagging, or a GDP now estimate for the fourth quarter uh, numbers for the GDP has been cut in like half uh, of what the initial projection was. And I think a lot of these numbers are coming out because of the government shutdown and and, and things like that that do affect things, but don't get too sucked into believing the numbers because especially as a short-term trader or, or, you know, and I'm talking even days and weeks, if you're a swing trader, you need to focus on the price of, of the, the equity you're trading, the, the instrument that you're currently in. And yes, you should be well-read and yes, you should keep track of these things. But I remember discussing with all kinds of traders, uh, you know, uh, long and short term in December and everybody, I mean, I know a lot of people that were like, this is it. This is the crash. Uh, I was actually with a well-known trader um, that's been around for 20 years now in December. And we were, we were together on a day that the Dow dropped 800 points in one day. I mean, that's a huge drop. And that was kind of, I think in the, in the beginning of December, but Everybody, when, when everyone thinks that, that something is going to happen in markets, quite frequently the opposite happens and look for opportunities when these things happen. And, and when you see all of these numbers coming out, but yet the market continues to go higher, that is a sign to you that there's a good opportunity to be bullish, to, to be looking for those long opportunities, those breakouts. I saw a lot of short sellers salivating in December and sure we were down every day. It seemed like in December, December was a a tough month for, for day trading. Particularly we, we just didn't see the multi-day moves that we have seen now, January and especially February. February has been a great uh, month. Well, all year really January included for volatility, big moves up, big moves down, lots of opportunity for long as well as short sellers. And that's the biggest thing that I think you should take away. Don't get too lulled or lured, as I, as I said in the beginning, into believing the perception. Your goal as a trader, as someone who is looking to make money in the markets, is to recognize opportunity. And if you get too bullish or too bearish because of the news flow, I mean, remember 
the news is out there. If it bleeds, it leads. They want, they need clicks. They need eyeballs. I mean, it, we live in a different world now. You know, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, sure, they wanted to sell newspapers, but it was a different model. You know, they, they were much more, uh, in my opinion, unbiased reporting. And in this day and age, good or bad, they're looking to get those clicks on those web pages. They, they need the headlines that draw you in. And when you start seeing market crash, market crash, you know, the world is ending, all of this fear mongering, you need to be looking at the price of the markets. You need to be looking at the price of the equities you trade. If you, if you trade penny stocks and you come in and there's five 100% runners, which is not unusual in low price stock land, you got to be thinking, wait a minute. You know, do I want to believe what the news says? Do I want to be bearish and trade these stocks on the short side when there's multi-day runs? Or do I want to look to capitalize and ignore the news and recognize what's in front of me? And, um, and even in higher price stocks too, we've seen a ton of amazing earnings winners. That's something I'll probably talk next week on this week in steady trade is, um, tons of, of these, these stocks have moved Big on earnings. Boeing was one of the best ones. I mean, there, there aren't any, many companies bigger than Boeing, and they blew out earnings. Uh, we recently focused on iRobot in the uh, Stocks to Trade Top 5 Stocks to Watch this week. And, uh, you know, another high-priced stock, but blew out earnings. You know, these technology firms, these medical devices, we've had so many hot trends. Marijuana, weed. You know, there is always opportunity out there. So in summary, read the news, be informed, know what's going on out there, but recognize when moment, recognize the momentum and, and understand that a lot of these, especially these government indicators, they're lagging. They might be based on data from a month ago or six weeks ago. Don't fall into that concept of, of, you know, thinking that what, what was relevant six weeks ago, especially in, in the modern era we're in, six weeks is a, a lifetime in the, in the globally con- connected economy we're in. So read it, follow it, but focus on the chart, focus on your scans, recognize momentum, and don't get suckered into being too bullish or too bearish. Be a trader, be agile. Thanks, Tim. And remember, if any of you would like your questions to appear on the podcast, record yourself and email us at admin at steadytrade.com or fill out the survey on the website or on YouTube. And if we use your question, you will win a Steady Trade mystery box, which may or may not contain the complete collection of the very best of share supply. You're You're every ticker in the world to me. That's supposed to be an incentive, people. But enough messing around. Let's learn all about SEC filings now. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Today, we have a repeat guest, and he's going to discuss one of the most requested topics we have, um, SEC filings. So this is something many, many, many of you have asked about. And uh, and keep in mind, if you do have anything you want us to discuss, whether it be with a guest or just from Stephen and I, be sure to comment on YouTube, comment on the blog, shoot us an email at steadytrade.com. However you want to reach out to us, we would love to see your topics. And 
And that's why we've got our guest, Michael Good, here today. Um, we're going to dig right into the material. If, you, uh, if you're if you not familiar with Michael Good, uh, check out episode 38 of the Steady Trade Podcast. Did a great bio and kind of a trading life history of Michael Good in that episode. I think it was a, it was a good one. I've known Michael for, I think, maybe 11 or 12 years now. It might be 2007-ish. So, Michael, I'd like to welcome you back. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Tim. Uh, I, I think it's been, at least I've known about you for 10 years. Maybe you've known about me for longer because I'm so famous. But. True. Good Good point. You're probably right. So. And, back in uh, the back in the Reaper days, whatever happened to Reaper? What happened to that? I just wanted to be more professional, um, <laughs> and so I switched my uh, blog from ReaperTrades.com to GoodTrades.com. Good with an E at the end because that's my last name, and uh, yeah, and and then that's been five or six years since that happened. You'll you'll always be Reaper to me, though. So that's good. Have you have you been training? It looks like you've been hitting that bag a little bit. You know? <laughs> No, actually, I, ne- I never hit that Where's bag. Where's your Reaper scythe? You should take it and disembowel that heavy bag behind you. I got rid of that scythe a long time ago, unfortunately. Uh, I, I stick to uh, more functional weapons nowadays. Knives, crossbow, longbow, you know. Good, good. Um, so let's, uh, let's get started. I have um, in front of me the printed hard copy from Michael Good's DVD, how to read SEC filings. You can check that out. We'll have it linked below. Um, a lot of people like to, uh, you know, especially Tim Sykes, and a lot of people like to joke that it might be the driest DVD ever. But the simple fact is the topic is kind of dry. They're, they're, you know, it's, it's hard to make it exciting. And, and it's just, it's one of those things that you do need to know. So definitely check out Michael's DVD. And we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff today. But uh Kind of give an introduction, if you would, um, you know, and, and I think you know this, you know, our demographic, you know, 90% of our listeners are very new to trading, or maybe they're getting up to that kind of intermediate phase, they're expanding, maybe they've had some good luck trading pure momentum, and they're looking to dig into more fundamentals and stuff. So kind of give an introduction as to, you know, what are SEC filings? Why should a new trader, particularly a penny stock trader, care about them? Well, uh, first, SEC filings are well, any publicly traded company that's registered with the SEC, which is most publicly traded companies and all companies that trade on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, they have to report certain information in their SEC filings. They have to file quarterly financial reports that include profit, loss, you know, a balance sheet. Uh, and then every uh, year they have to have an annual report that also has a lot of details in terms of risk statements and uh, lots of footnote uh, details about the business, uh, stuff you might not otherwise see. And uh, also any company that's uh, registered with the SEC, anything that is meaningful, that is uh, important to the business, they have to report in their SEC filings. So while they may put out a press release to say, oh, we got this contract. uh, The good stuff. They'll put out a press release for the good stuff. They're not putting out a press release for the bad stuff. Especially the scummier companies won't even put out a press release on the bad stuff like, oh, the CEO resigned because he was, you know, found that he was uh, murdering uh, children in Venezuela. I don't know. But uh, it's 
there's there is a difference, and uh, some of the scummier companies will not uh, report uh, bad news in press releases, or they'll make it sound better than it really is. They'll spin the press release. And uh, usually they're a little more uh, honest in the actual SEC filing because that's what sort of gets graded by the SEC. Uh, and uh, even sometimes- and, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, you know, a press release ultimately is just a press release. It goes to the web pages, newspapers. You can kind of, I mean, you could quote unquote kind of say whatever you want. But if you say whatever you want in an SEC filing, you're setting yourself up to be sued, prosecuted, et cetera. So you got to be really rogue to blatantly lie in an SEC filing unless you're just not worried about going to jail or being prosecuted. Well, well, you can't lie, blatantly lie in a press release either. And uh, the SEC does go after people for that, uh, but it's rare. And it's more, and it's fairly common, especially you see this a lot of times with biotechs to sort of shade the truth. And you'll see a headline in the press release that says, oh, uh, this uh, study was a positive phase two study. And uh, we found these results. And then you get down two paragraphs and they say, oh, the study failed to meet its primary endpoint. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about uh, doing uh, scientific studies, medical studies, before you start, you specify your primary endpoint. That's how you know if the study was successful or not. And uh, then you all do a whole bunch of other tests, you know, to find uh, interesting analyses, uh, stuff that might help you develop the drug. But if you don't succeed on your primary endpoint, then that's failure. Now, what uh, you know, you I, you you kind of started listing, you know, the 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 filings. What are the uh, you know, what are the main filings that again the new trader, the penny stock trader, should should start looking at as they kind of begin this process. So first, uh, all these filings can be found for free on the SEC's website, sec.gov. Uh, just Google Edgar E D G A R SEC and it'll take you to the company search page, and you just search by company name. Uh, You can also search by ticker for some companies. Not all companies will work for them. Uh, And that will take you to a listing of all their filings. And uh, I think the most important filings are, of course, your quarterly reports, which are 10-Q. Your annual reports are 10-K. And uh, then you have your random reports uh, that are meaningful news, uh, which are 8-K. Uh, so those are your Q, your 10 Qs, your 10 Ks, your 8 Ks. Uh, then you have, I mean, that's going to be most of it. If the company is a foreign company, uh, then they're going to report their annual filing as a 20-F and uh, their semi-annual earnings as a, hold on, is it 6-F or is it, that's 6-K actually. Um, unfortunately, with the foreign companies, uh, their 8Ks, so random meaningful news, is on the exact same form as their uh, an, uh, semi-annual report, and that's a 6K. Okay, yep. Which which one of the a recent ticker, just for kind of context sake, was uh, Solo, which is a, a uh, company that trade last week is a foreign company out of Vancouver, Um and the stock went nuts. If you if you look up Solo, they're an electric car company for for the week of would have been what the 11th through the 14th. Stock went crazy, spiked up and down. And you'll notice that that I've actually got the F3 in front of me for for possible discussion today. So so that is a good point there, being that they're a foreign company. That's why it's an F3 instead. 
Right. And uh, so besides those forms I already mentioned, you also have your registration form. Uh, it's just S3 or S1 uh, to register shares that the company will sell. And then if it's a foreign company, it's an F3 or F1. Uh, oddly enough, the F stands for foreign. Uh, then you have uh, your 424B5 or anything 424B3, uh, which is a prospectus. Uh, and that goes together with your uh, registration statement, which is your S3. And then you have your uh, form effect, uh, which means that the registration is now in effect and they can now sell those shares or those sh- technically they can now, uh, whoever they sold the shares to can now resell the shares. So that's going to be, I'm going to save that a little bit yeah. for later because that's going to be the main, probably the main meat of what we're looking at for a lot of these penny stocks, especially on the short side. But, um, you know, like when it comes to like the 10K and the 10Q, how much time, and, and I have an answer, this is a rhetorical question, you know, how much time should a penny stock trader be spending reading these financials and looking for numbers because I think this is something that a lot of newer traders fall into. They're digging through these financial, these, these statements and they're like, Oh, they're losing money. Oh, they're spending money here. But is that useful? You know, Uh, really, I think the answer uh, for most, especially for day traders and short term, uh, you know, if you're trading holding for a day or two, the answer is a few minutes uh, at most uh, because Yes, a lot of these companies are horrible companies that lose money, but uh, that's not why you're trading it. Uh, that's not new information. Uh, the market already knows that, and the people that are day trading a stock like Solo, uh, S-O-L-O, uh, they're day trading it because it has momentum, not because it's a great company that they think that's going to be successful. Nobody wants a three-wheeled car. Uh I'm going to put that right out there. Solo is going to go bankrupt. Wait, whatever that that car <laughs> is, that might be the sexiest car I've ever seen. You can you can keep your 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 Aston Martins, <laughs> your your Ferraris, your Lamborghinis, your Teslas. That car, I I want one. What do you mean no one wants one? I want that three wheel car. Well, I, I'm sorry for you, Tim, and for your wife and uh, for your dog, uh, who would be embarrassed to get in one of those cars. <laughs> but but back to the point, you know, and this is something I look back kind of early in my career because I started out, you know, in 2007, 2008 as predominantly a short seller. And I remember, I kind of look back and laugh a little bit. I remember printing hundreds of pages of these filings you know, with the highlighter and I'm like, Oh, they're losing money. They're losing money. Oh, that's terrible. You know, and you, and you laugh at these filings, but like you said, you're trading it because it's up a hundred percent on the day. And as you said, a lot of these filings are a month old. It's not like, you know, you know and, and that's the trap I fell into. And I think a lot of new traders do, they kind of think they're like this Sherlock Holmes finding some jewel of information and these stocks, you know, this is known information. They're running because momentum has taken over and it's really easy to get torched. And, you know, and I got torched a few times by saying, well, geez, you know, they're losing money, but, but the market knows this. So it's like that month old filing. If you're, if you're holding short for days, good luck. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it is very useful in a few specific situations that I'm sure we're going to get into. Uh, there are certain details you can find in filings that might make you more certain about a, a short. Uh, but 
in the short run, a stock can do whatever the hell it wants, uh, regardless of reality. Uh, so, for example, I'll give you a couple uh, examples where Perfect. it wasn't actually uh, the filings. I w- it was a couple companies I was shorting in bankruptcy. And uh, one company, uh, CHC Helicopters, uh, I shorted at 20 cents like two or three days before the, equi- or before the stock was wiped out because they were at the end of bankruptcy. There was a short squeeze from 20 cents to $2. At one point, I was down 1,000%. Now, this was a tiny position, but... Uh, I was down a thousand percent on a stock that was going to literally go to zero in less than a week. And uh, so me knowing but see, that, but see, that's, that's, you know, and that where I'll push back on you is you knew that possibility and you knew, yes, you know, but, yeah. and, and that's where, again, the, the new trader, the listener to this podcast, they don't necessarily know that they may be down a thousand percent at one point, you know, you went in eyes wide open in that. Right. Right. You need to do that. Uh, and, uh, I've seen that plenty of other uh, times and, uh, uh, Peabody energy, a coal company, I traded their bankruptcy. The stock went from $1 to $3, a diff- same sort of thing. A few days before the stock literally went to zero and, uh, you need to know that in the very short run, a stock can do anything it wants, uh, especially if it's illiquid, especially if it has a low float. And uh, your understanding of the SEC fines, your understanding of dilution that may occur, that's going to help you maybe be a little more certain in your short, but the price action and having a good trade plan around how the stock trades is going to be the most important thing. Uh, so, for example, uh we're going to talk about, I'm sure, uh, companies that dilute a lot uh, and that I'm not going to short based on the fact that I think it's highly likely that a company will uh, do a financing. However, if the price action looks right and uh, the I'm looking to short, if it looks like there's a good chance of a financing, that will make me think it's a better short because if it goes down, good, I make money. If they do a financing overnight while I'm short, I make more money. So it, it's just an extra way to make profit, uh, but you can't rely on that uh, because I've seen situations where a company was totally losing money and it looked like they were going to do a financing and they totally didn't for whatever reason. And yeah, and actually I want to make a point that we you, you mentioned real quickly. I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with short selling. We talk about it a lot, but Michael did not misspeak when he said he was down 1,000%, okay? Because, you know, most of you probably think, okay, I buy 100 shares of a $10 stock, worst worst case scenario, I lose 100%. You can, I mean, he was down 1,000%. He did not misspeak. (laughs) That was correct. Yeah, it was a $500 position, and at one point I was down $5,000. So... (laughs) That's why you always need to be careful when you're uh, shorting stuff because your loss, your potential loss is unlimited. And I have experienced that. Uh, So uh, you always need to be careful and you always need to uh, uh, think about the potential for a catastrophic loss. My job as a trader is to stay in the game. Uh, I could have a crappy year. I can lose money, but I know I just need to stay in the game and eventually I'll, I'll make more money uh, because I have a history as a profitable trader. Now, if you're just starting out, you don't know that you're uh, eventually going to make money. Uh, maybe you're just not suited for it. But 
my job is to keep from betting all my money on one thing and potentially losing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars uh, on what looked like a sure bet because even sure bets are not certain. Sure. Sure. And, and yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, say that stock continued to go up and say you lost 10,000 and ultimately stopped out. I mean, that wouldn't destroy you. And that, that is something that so many new traders don't take into consideration because if you, if you've got a, you know, $5,000 account or a $9,000 account and you're down your entire account and then some, you're done, you know, you're, yeah. or, or at least you're done for two years until you can squirrel away more money. But, but Michael can do that because he's got the account exp- size and he's got the, you know, and he's got that, he can, he can swing that. It would suck. He wouldn't like it, but it wouldn't destroy him. You as a new trader, that might take you out of the game for two years. Yeah. And that's what you need to avoid. So let's, uh, let's kind of move on to, well, well, are there any other, any other filings that, that the new trader, you know, should be looking at other than the ones we already mentioned? Is there any? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a couple others, uh, forms four, three, four, and five, for example, are ownership forms that have to be filed by insiders and people that own 10% or more of a company, uh, and uh, just, I'm going to say this, I'm not going to uh, say why this is important or refer to why uh, I'm saying this, but if you own 10% or more of a company, you are a statutory insider. By law, you are an insider. So then the, those rules apply to you, even if you have ex- absolutely nothing to do with the company. Uh, other kinds of ownership forms, uh, 13G and 13D are filed by major investors that have 5% or more ownership in a company. The more interesting ones are 13D. Uh, it's actually SC-13D SC uh, because that is indi- indicative of, a, of an investment, uh, sorry, I can't speak, of an investor uh, wanting to take an active uh, role in the company. Like I'm going to talk to management and get them to uh, do something different. And uh, for example, one of my, Worst uh, short ideas was shorting KBIO before it was supposed to liquidate. And uh, the problem is Martin Shkreli bought like 60% of the company and then filed a form SC13D uh, right after hours. Uh, I was saved because I was right at my computer. I got the filing instantly because of my uh, uh, software. But... Uh, that stock squeezed from $2.05 or $2.10 where I covered uh, my short to over $18 uh, by uh, the end of after hours. Uh, yeah, so, so, so yeah, you know, just look up the history of KBIO. It's a very interesting story. Um, there's got to be some books on this at some point. I can't believe there isn't a Martin Screlly book yet. But Yeah, um, uh, he, he should write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so 2 to 18 and then they all – it ultimately went to 50, didn't it? Yeah, somewhere around there. And like a day or two later. So, um, so again, that's, that's the danger of short selling. You know, what was, what, what were you initially in at? I was in at like 150. So, uh, so he's in at a buck 50. And now obviously he never would have, but say he got hit on the head for two days, he could come back and be, and that stock was at 50 bucks, which is, you know, whatever, 5,000 or, I don't even know what the percent is. I'm too dumb. So, yeah. Uh, if I hadn't covered when I did and covered like a day later, I, I don't think it was a small position for me, maybe $5,000, but uh, 
I could have had a $50,000 loss. <laughs> and again, that wouldn't throw me out of the game, but that would wipe out uh, a few, at least a few months of profit. It would and make me feel really yeah. sad. <laughs> <laughs> now, now back to these, you know, these, these ownership stakes. Um, so give me a scenario of, uh, you know, and this is where I'm kind of, for lack of a term, pushing back, but why do I care? If, if there's a big, big insider buy, or why do I care if there's a big insider sell or, you know, what's a situation where I'm looking to trade this stock and I see one of these, what do I, why do I care? Well, sometimes, uh, particularly with small cap companies, uh, if you see a new uh, SC13G or SC13D uh, filing and it's by a very well-respected investor, you can Which see is what this, we uh, kind of called that we, we were calling it the billionaire plays a few years. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, then you'll see the stock uh, usually get a significant spike uh, and uh, that can be uh, worth trading. Um, with uh, the forms three, four, five, uh, just seeing insiders sell, the executive sell is not a big thing because they like to own nice mansions and yachts and uh, they need to sell their stock to afford their lifestyle. See, that's uh, a trap I've seen people fall into too. They're like, oh, the, the president's selling stock. Oh, you know, he thinks, you know, he thinks the prospects are bad. He thinks that the company's overvalued, but I'll let you finish. But it's like, maybe he just wanted a new car. <laughs> maybe he want, maybe he had to pay his taxes. You know, who knows? You know? Yep. And, uh, also, I mean, it's one thing to sell some stock. Now, on the other hand, if he sells all his stock uh, or he sells right after the stock has already dropped a lot, then that can be a huge deal. Uh, and, uh, for example, recently with Tesla, we saw some crazy, crazy option exercises in sales by one of the directors. Now, normally, I don't pay too much attention to what directors do. Yeah, they're sort of the big boss, but they're not involved in the day-to-day business of the company, uh, so they don't have as much information as the CEO or the president. Uh, But this one director of Tesla, she had uh, options, so it's the right to buy the stock at like $319 a share, and uh, she exercised that when the stock was at $320 a share and sold the shares immediately and made like $80,000 or whatever. But if she had held on to those options, you look at uh, publicly traded options that had a similar uh, duration, uh, they're trading for 80 to $90 a share. So even if she thinks the company is going to go uh, bankrupt, uh, even if she's only 90% sure that Tesla is going bankrupt, it's still a better bet to hold on to those options than to exercise and sell for a dollar per share profit. Uh, so a lot of people that are short Tesla, and I'm one of those people, uh, paid a lot of attention to that. Uh, and she's that same director has done it twice. It's just a really, really stupid move. Uh, and oh, of course, so what's, what's, what's your, what's your theory? Obviously it's a theory. You can't read minds, you know, contrary to, <laughs> contrary to the news media. It's, everybody seems to think they can read people's minds, but what, what's, what's her, what's her motivation there? Do you think? So my thinking is, uh, she's does not want to, uh, she sees bad things at Tesla, but she doesn't have any insider information. So the weird thing about this is these, this was done. She's done it twice now, according to a, 10B5-1 trading plan, uh, which I'll explain in a second. And uh, both times she made just a tiny bit of money. Uh, so I think partly she's stupid and partly she just doesn't. That's what I wondered. <laughs> and never underestimate the stupidity of uh, humans. 
especially yourself. Uh, I've done plenty of stupid things too. Uh, but in this case, so a 10B5-1 plan, executives and directors, they can establish this plan so they can sell shares from time to time using uh, certain rules uh, so that uh, they don't have to be, because otherwise they know inside information and they can't sell when they have inside information that's meaningful to the stock. So if they know bad earnings are coming up, they can't sell. But so she, they, you think she's just doing it so she's not holding the bag? I think so, yeah. When someone tells her something... <laughs> stuck and she can't, you know. Yeah. I, I think in her case, I mean, if you're selling uh, at, for such a small profit, why are you even staying on as a director? Why aren't you just getting out as a director? That I don't understand. Uh, but the 10B5-1 plan, you set it up and you might say, okay, sell 5% or 10% of my shares every month if the stock is above $320 a share or whatever, and you can uh, do different simple rules. And uh, that's pretty standard. Lots of uh, executives do those. And uh, unfortunately for us, they do not show us the details of the plan for the most part in SEC filings. There's one case in which I have seen that only one case where I saw that uh, the details of the 10 B five dash one plan in the filing. And that was a case where, uh, again, it was an insanely weird plan uh, because, and I talked about this in my SEC DVD, it was a tiny little biotech uh, and real company, good company, made some really useful lab instrumentation. And the stock was at $4 a share. And the CEO and owner of the majority of the company filed a plan to sell uh I don't know what percent of his stock, but some of his stock every so often uh, at a price no lower than $8 a share. So you say, why is he filing this plan to sell shares at twice the current price? Well, he wants to sell, he wants to buy a new yacht or whatever, but he thinks the stock is way undervalued. Uh, it turns out that company was bought out by another company at 8 or $9 a share uh, half a year later. Uh, so that was really meaningful information, but unfortunately, most of these plans, the details are not published. Okay. So now I want to move on to the meat. We, we got past the potatoes. Let's get to the meat here. Yes. Um, most, I think, you know, the reason we get the re- requests is, 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 you know, again, in low price stocks right now, everybody's talking about warrants, warrants, this warrants, 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 you know, especially, as they get squeezed for, you know, $5 a share, everybody likes to say, but there's warrants. That's, that's my favorite new, new, new thing to say. And then also, you know, you, you'll hear the terms. I'm, I'm kind of laying out the terms for the listeners, you know, ATMs, shelves, offerings, you know, these are terms as a new trader, you're going to hear over and over again, especially if you're on Twitter, if you're on chat rooms and, and there's some stock like solo that went from one to five or whatever, you're going to hear there's warrants, there's warrants, you know, there's a shelf, there's an offering coming. You're going to hear all these terms. So I'll let you decide where to start, but, but like let that, that I think is the biggest reason at the podcast we keep getting this question. 
Yeah, and this is there's a couple of people on Twitter that I respect and follow uh, that talk about this a lot, like Ospec Ospex Research. Uh, Great follow. We'll make sure to link him before below. Um, yeah. He's got uh, before he gets started. I just want to make sure they link it, and then he's got a great resource. I, I'm pretty sure he's got him right in his bio. He did a bunch of these twit longers, which yep. are basically blog posts. But <laughs> uh, go to Ospex Research, read these blog posts. It's free. You're, I mean, no offense. I think you're an idiot if you don't take the time to read them. But go ahead. So. Yeah, I have to say I haven't finished reading his twit longer posts, so I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, so he'll talk a lot on Twitter, and you'll see his daily posts uh, making fun of people buying stocks that are up a, a lot when there's warrants or bad management. Uh, and I disagree with him on some level because, yeah, you can make fun of uh, the people who get left holding the bag. But still, even these scummy companies, you have really big runs. So people that know what they're doing can make big money uh, buying the stocks. Especially uh, in low float land. Right. And uh, pe- people that short can lose big money if they don't wait until the price action is right. Uh, so just knowing uh, that it's a bad company and that they're going to dilute is not going to help you uh, unless you have an infinite amount of money and an infinite ability to hold sh- uh, your shares short and not get a forced buy-in. Uh, most of you that should not apply to. If it does apply to you, then come talk to me uh, and uh, marry me, and uh, I will be happy to spend Actually, no, no, if you've got unlimited money and <laughs> unlimited opportunity to hold, come talk, uh, marry me. Forget Michael. <laughs> I will. Pro- I, I propose as well. Or maybe we could share custody. Like Michael and I could share custody of you. So. Yes, we hope you like Michigan we, we, uh, and like snow and cold. So let's start with um, – because I, I want to I lay out these terms and I want to I hear them from you. So like ATM, you know, you know, that's something you'll hear – again, on Twitter, chat rooms, you'll, you'll hear there's an ATM. You know, we'll explain that to the listener. So an ATM is a kind of uh, offering uh, that a company does – and, uh, Actually, let's start with offering. <laughs> yeah, let's let's start. that's that's a good place to start. And then let's work through. Yeah. Yep. So 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 you'll hear the term offering, offering coming. That's that's the favorite thing the shorts yes. like to say at like three thirty. They're like, oh, offering coming tonight. So explain that. Sorry. So a lot of the famous companies that everyone knows that are public companies don't ever do offerings. An offering just means they sell shares to raise money. And uh, they don't do that because they're wildly profitable. Google hasn't raised money since their IPO. And, uh, but a lot of the small cap companies, uh, especially the ones with low floats, especially the ones that day traders love to trade, they're bad businesses. They lose money. So they need to sell stock from time to time uh, to keep the business going, to keep paying their executives, and to keep the lights on. Uh, so that what they do is they do a stock offering. They sell shares. That's all an offering is. And uh, it's in the details of how offerings work uh, that it gets a little complicated. Uh, so one of the uh, favorites of people is called an ATM or at-the-market offering. Uh, so a company will file a registration statement saying, blah, 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 This we're doing uh, an at-the-market offering through Craig Hallam or some other small investment bank. And what that means is Somebody at the company, the president, or actually, I guess, probably the chief financial officer will say, okay, uh, our stock is spiking hugely today. Let's call the guys at Craig Hallam and say, okay, sell all you can sell. Uh, we want to raise $50 million today. And uh, 
you will see that uh, sometimes that happen with uh, a company announcing that they uh, filled 50 million, sold $50 million worth of stock after the market closed after a big spike day. And uh, knowing about that offering is a big deal because uh, if a company is selling a ton of shares that increases the float and it also is a big uh, headwind, it's an increase in uh, supply of stock. Uh, so the stock is less likely to spot spike big. Yeah. So, so that's a, you know, that's a dilution event is what we call it. And, and the best way to think about that, if you're, if you're kind of learning this stuff is, I mean, it's, it's basic supply and demand. Yep. There is now way, remember stock there, there's a limited supply of stock in any company. It could be 200,000 shares or it could be Apple and it could be 7 billion shares, but those are all the shares that are the supply. When they do that dilution event, there's now twice as much supply and, if you had a high school economics course, you know when there's twice as much supply and the demand is the same or potentially less because most of the time once this offering is done, that brings the price action to a grinding halt. So now you've got more supply and less demand. What's going to happen to the price? Yep. It's understanding of the price or, or the supply and demand uh, that is really important and that understanding the offerings uh, is important Uh even in the case where uh, there might be an offering, there might be warrants, but if the volume on the stock is high enough and the increase of supply is low enough, then it won't matter. So I, I've seen See, people. That's something. <laughs> I, I've seen people talk about, oh, uh, are, will these warrants matter? And there's, okay, it's a $5 stock. There's a million warrants exercisable at $4 a share. And uh, these warrants, they're just a, a call option. So they give somebody the right, but not the obligation to buy the stock at uh, the strike price, $4 a share in my example, and then uh, they can sell those shares whenever. So if the stock is above $4 a share, then they will ex- they might exercise those options, or sorry, those warrants, and then sell the resulting shares. Uh, and that uh, results in an increased supply of stock because of, those are new shares getting created. So uh, let's say you have a million warrants at $4 a share as your strike price. Uh, the stock's at $5 a share, it has traded 10 million shares so far, and it's 10 a.m., 30 minutes after the market opened. Those warrants do not matter because even if everybody already exercised all those warrants, that's an increase in supply uh, that's small relative to the volume the stock is trading. Uh, so you need to pay attention to how much volume the stock is trading. And if it's trading huge volume, I don't care how, how many warrants there are. If the volume the stock is trading is much higher than the number of warrants, then uh, those warrants don't matter. Yeah. That, and that's something we've, that, and that was kind of one of the biggest points I wanted to make is we, I mean, we see these stocks. I mean, they might be 2 million float stocks, 3 million, 4 million. They'll trade 30, 40, 50 million shares on the day. It doesn't really matter if there's a couple million warrants. I mean, that yep. think about back to supply and demand. If this stock was trading 200,000 shares yesterday, and it's trading 50 million today, that's demand. And, and it doesn't matter if there's a slightly dilutive event. It can't, you know, the market is absorbing all of that. So, I mean, sure, this, anything can happen. That stock could come back. But you see that trap so often these days of, of people that are like, well, there's warrants. It's up 80% today. But in Michael's example, it's traded 10 million shares by 10 a.m., you got six hours left to go in the day. Good luck. Yeah. And uh, 
what was it? Sorry, I just lost my uh, train of thought. Okay, we were talking about uh, warrants in that case. Uh, so warrants, uh, let me go on and I'll talk about the other kinds of offerings. Uh, I talked about the ATMs, uh, you're at the market offerings. Uh, then you have a couple other kinds uh, of offerings. You have a, or sorry, a registration statement. So a lot of times you'll see a company do a shelf registration. Shelf just, is my next one to ask, yep. So. Yeah, you'll see that on the form S3, F3 if the company's foreign. Uh, and uh, it will say, this is a shelf registration. We have the now have the right to sell uh, $100 million worth of stock from time to time or at whatever point we decide to. But that case, they have not sold those shares. And it's not like they're going to sell those shares directly into that market, into the market. They need to call up their investment banker and find investors who want to buy their shares, and then they'll do an offering. Uh, that's why... Uh, I'll pay attention to how much cash a company has, how much cash a company is burning. And uh, frankly, for myself, I'm not tempted to hold stocks long overnight anyway. Uh, but if a company is low on cash and they have a shelf registration, those are the times when you see uh, there's a good chance that they do a, uh, a share sale after hours. They'll announce it. And uh, to get the share sale done, it's usually at, at a discount to where the stock ended the day. Uh, so and, explain. I think that's a that's a good point there. Explain, like why? Because I I think a lot of people will see that in the registration too, and they'll be like, well, wait, why are they getting shares at two bucks or what? Or, or what? So so explain that that process, I guess. So let's say you want to buy a ton. Uh, we have a a fifty million market cap biotech. Shares are trading at five dollars a share. So that means there's wait. 10 million shares outstanding. The company wants to raise a bunch of money to keep the lights on and do their research. So they find a uh, mutual fund, hedge fund, whoever uh, who want to invest. Uh, and the stock recently spiked on good news because if it didn't spike on good news, we would not be trading it. Uh, well, it might've spiked on no news. If it hadn't spiked, we won't be trading it. Uh, particularly if the news wasn't particularly good uh, or there was no news whatsoever, the person that buys these new 2 million shares, they're not going to say, oh, sure, I'll just pay whatever all these retail idiots were paying. I'm going to pay up what I think the company is worth, which is about what the stock was trading at before. And uh, that's kind of situation where you see a huge discount to the closing stock price if there was no news uh, and uh, if the company is a bad company. If there and, was, and the company is willing to do it because they're desperate for cash too. Right. So they can go to one person, you know, they can sit here and try and get people fired up about their stock and try and sell a million shares to a hundred thousand people, or they can go to one, you know, big shot and do one deal, but that guy wants a discount. Right. And uh, I, I should say uh, the more reputable companies, uh, the companies that have really good news, uh, if what I talked about when the company is just selling to one or two investors, that's usually referred to as a pipe, a private investment in public equity. And there is where you normally see sizable discounts to the stock's price. Now, other times a company will say, okay, we'll talk to our investment bank, try to find as many investors as you can. And you'll see a, you'll usually see a press release from the company say, we're doing an offering of a hundred million dollars worth of stock. Uh, call your investment bank. And then a day or two later, they'll announce the pricing of the stock. And uh, some, a lot of times those are at a discount to where the stock was trading at. 
usually it's a smaller discount. See, that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I call when I talk about it, I call it favorable pricing because yeah. a lot of people will be like, oh, there's an offering, there's an offering. And it's like, well, wait, what if that offering is only, a, say the stock's trading at 12 bucks. What if it's only at 11 or something like that? Those yeah. are some of the best short squeezes because everybody, everybody's ready. They're short and they're short and they're short. And remember, these companies just got $10 million, $50 million. I mean, they got a bunch of money and they didn't have to discount it that much. Right. Uh, I can't remember the exact company. About a year and a half ago, there was one company, uh, some biotech. They did had successful phase two or phase three results for their drug. Uh, stock spiked from like three to 12. And uh, then they did an offering and it was at $11 a share. So you had big money investors coming in, buying the stock for almost four times what it was worth a week earlier. And some people were short, but when the offering price was announced, the stock went up and soon it was at $12, then $14, then $15. And actually a few months after that, the company was bought out at like $35 a share uh, because the drug results were so good. So if you see an offering that's at a tiny discount uh, to the stock, stock price, those, those can make for really good short squeezes and you don't want to short those. So let's kind of kind of come I think we've done a good job of laying the groundwork. Let's let's kind of wrap things up here. So what is you know in we can we can go as long as we need to, but what is the kind of cliff notes version of okay, I'm a new newer penny stock trader. What what should I be looking for? You know, what should I be focusing on in these filings or or should I even be focusing on them at all? Should I just be entirely trading price action? I would say you do want to at least take a look at them uh, because there's situations with companies that have a history of really ugly financings and where, where there are a ton of warrants outstanding. Uh, and uh, some of those companies... Again, they start might start to get momentum, uh, but if there's not enough volume to overwhelm uh, the di- dilution that's coming, then that momentum will end quickly, and then the stock will uh, drop. Uh, so, so, so even if, and, and that's that's, I'm glad you made that point. So, even if I'm not a short seller, I yes. now say, I now say, wait, out of all the stocks I could be trading today, maybe this is the one I want to skip. Yes, that's exactly what you want to do. Uh, and it doesn't take, again, when you're first starting, it's going to take you a while to figure this stuff out. Uh, but after you get a bit of experience, it won't take more than you know, five minutes or so to search through the filings and just, you look for, uh, go back through the most recent 10Q, look for words like warrants uh, and uh, offering. Then you look for any registration statements, S3, any of the 424B3 or 424B5, the prospectuses, uh, just to look for things like at the money offering or uh, warrants uh, to see what is out there. And if it looks like there's not really anything out there, then okay, go ahead, day trade it to your heart's content and uh, don't worry about it uh, because if there's no ATM, there's no uh, not a big number of warrants, then even if the company does an offering, it's very, very, very rare to do an offering during the middle of the day, the, right after news has come out. Uh, so you're fine. It's nothing bad is going to happen. Uh, and uh, that's all you have to really do. Uh, in situations where you're looking to short, 
uh, again, you look for a ton of warrants. Uh, you look for an outstanding. Uh, so, d- so define. Um, just you know, I'm trying to. I'm trying okay. to define a ton. Can, can you, so, so it really depends on the uh, mark. Okay, so it matters large number of warrants in relation to the float and in relation to the volume the stock is trading. So let's say there's a 2 million share float and there's a million warrants outstanding that are in the money. Uh, just means the warrant strike price is below the stock price. In that case, you can have 50% dilution uh, very quickly. Uh, and uh, that... Because now uh, you're going from 2 million shares to 3 million shares. Right. Uh, so unless the trading volume is like over 10 million, uh, in which case that's really going to overwhelm the number of warrants and the potential dilution, uh, then uh, the increased supply is going to uh, really have a negative effect on the stock price. Perfect. That, that, that was a, that was a good example. So, so kind of continue, you know, as, as a new trader, what, what am I looking for? Cause I think we, we, I, I kind of, I wanted to focus on that point. But. Right. So if you're, Long only, just looking to buy, uh, again, just look to see if there's an outstanding uh, at the money or at the market uh, offering uh, by looking back through the registration statement and prospectuses. Uh, and uh, also see if there's any warrants outstanding, uh, how many there are relative to the float of the stock and the uh, number of shares outstanding. Uh, and uh, if you don't see any of that or very little, then go ahead, buy the stock if the, mom- if the momentum's good, if the chart looks good. Uh, if you're looking to short, besides looking for uh, an ATM or warrants, also you need to look at the balance sheet of the company, the most recent balance sheet and cash flow statement, because you want to see how likely it is that they're going to sell shares. Uh, and if you see a bunch of warrants, sorry, I should say, if there's a bunch of warrants out there that are exercisable, uh, then that's good. If there's an ATM that's out, out there, that's good too. And then you look and see, well, okay, how much cash do they have on their balance sheet and how quickly are they burning through that cash? Uh, A company that has $3 million worth of uh, quick assets is what we call it. Uh, So it's not just cash, but cash and short-term securities. So stuff that they can quickly turn into cash. Uh, They've got $3 million, let's say, and uh, every quarter they lose about 4 or $5 million. Uh, then you look and see how far, how long ago that most recent quarterly report was, because again, it comes out once a quarter. Uh, then uh, they could be almost out of cash and in need of raising money. And that's going to increase your, increase the odds that they use an ATM or do an overnight offering. Uh, and again, that's just, uh, if you're shorting overnight, you can't bet on there being an offering, but if you have decent odds of it, that's just one extra bonus if it happens. So, this is kind of my, my last point, and that, that was great. Um, you know, talk about, because, because the listeners hear me talk about it a lot. I would like to hear your perspective. So talk about the, the, I, I call it a dilemma of, of the newer short seller that is, that is looking at these filings, sees them bleeding cash, sees offerings, sees shelf registrations, but they keep getting sucked into trying to short this stock. The first day it has news, it's trading 50, 100 times its normal volume. And they keep falling in this trap because they're like, well, they're bleeding money. There's an eight, you know, there's all this stuff. There's all these red flags, but they don't take into consideration it's day one or 
day two. It's a low float stock. There's news. Maybe it's in a hot sector. Maybe it's a weed stock. Maybe it's a cryptocurrency stock. So kind of give your perspective on that. Understanding the situation of financing, the potential increase in shares outstanding or, or potential increase in float, that's one part of a trade. Uh, there's a lot else that goes into it, uh, which is the demand side uh, for the shares. And that is going to be told to you by the uh, price action and uh, the uh, stock price and the volume. And so you cannot ignore that. Uh, no matter if, you're in, if your supply is increasing 50%, if your demand is up 500%, it's going to overwhelm supply and you get a crazy squeeze. So you should have a trade. Uh, and, and again, there's multiple things going into every trade or should be. Uh, what kind of price action am I looking to short? Is there a good pro- possibility that this stock is going to drop if it has this sort of price action? And once you do that and you say, okay, just on price action alone, this stock is more likely than not to drop. And then I have a stop loss that I set. Then you add in that warrant information. That's just one extra piece of the puzzle. And it makes you more likely still to make money. Uh, so for example, uh, just last October uh, at uh, Tim Sykes penny stock conference in Orlando, I talked about shorting stocks based on news and how meaningful I thought their news was. And I found that based on my judgment, the news that was less meaningful tended to result in the stocks dropping after the open. Now, you don't want to only trade based on that. You need to have some uh, price action based uh, indicators because you don't want to risk getting uh, a major loss. And uh, also, I didn't talk about it at that talk, but there's no reason you can't look at the financing aspect, potential increases in shares, ATMs, and then add that on to that trading strategy. And, and that's what I do. It's You have all these potential things that can go together, price action, volume, news, how meaningful that is, uh, whether some other event's going to happen, uh, whether that's like there's likely to be an increase in the share supply. All that uh, matters, and, and, and you just need to pay attention to multiple things that affect the stock and have multiple reasons for trade. Yeah, I think you know you got to look at the the fundamentals as they're they're just another indicator. I mean, you can't. Well, I mean, maybe you can, but I don't think anybody can. You you can't trade strictly on VWAP. You can't trade strictly on Fibonacci's. You know, you need to use these to, I call it building the case, you know, to kind of put all these moving parts together. But, you know, again, back to solo last week. I mean, I saw guys that were shorting this, you know, early in the morning and like a buck 70 because they're like, it's warrants, blah, 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 blah. And I think they stopped out. I don't know either that or they're dead, you know, but I mean, the stock went to like 440 the same day, you know, and if your only trade thesis is it's up a hundred percent and there's warrants, man, you got to think this thing through better. Yeah. I uh, have a really great analogy I've been thinking of. And uh, I mean, with stock trading, it's really easy to get focused on one thing, uh, but that doesn't matter in any sort of, uh, that's not how to think of, about anything in life. Uh, for example, you want to talk about attractiveness. Uh, let's say you fixate on, uh, I'm not going to you know, be all male-centric here. Let's say you're uh, a woman or a gay man, and you're saying, I find strength to be attractive. And then you, you've 
look up this guy and is like, wow, he can, uh, he can deadlift 400 pounds. That's impressive. I want to go out with this guy. And then you meet him and he's really fat, uh, because, you know, he's really strong, but he Hey lets, man, he, hey, hey, more, more than five reps is cardio, bro. <laughs> and, and so it's not just that one thing. You're, you're just paying attention to one measure of strength. And again, like you look at the Olympics, the Olympic shot putters do not look uh, like bodybuilders because they focus on just one thing. Uh, so if you're looking for an attractive mate, uh, you look at all kinds of personality factors. And uh, even just in terms of attractiveness, you have, uh, you know, the quality of their skin, face symmetry, uh, symmetry, face symmetry, uh, and uh, all sorts of other things. Uh, so don't just fixate on one indicator when you're making stock trades. You need to look at many different things. And, and the more things you look at that matter, the better. I think that's a, that's a great analogy. I, I like it. I'll probably steal it now, actually. So, um, so Michael, I'd like to thank you again. Did you, did you have anything? I think that was a great ending. Did you have any other little kind of tidbits you wanted to throw in or not? Uh, I do. One thing I do want to say, uh, yes, SEC filings are free to read on the SEC's website. Uh, they are not uh, instantly available there, though. Uh, so uh, they have an interesting system and you can Google news articles about this, uh, but there is a direct SEC feed you can get. I think it's like $5,000 a month, in which case you get every single SEC filing right as it comes out. And uh, you or I, if we have a news application, we want to have a news uh, application that's getting the that's paying for that direct feed in which case we can end up getting the SEC filings a second or two before other people. Uh, and uh, that can matter. Like in the case with Calo Bios, uh, KBIO, uh, I was literally, I think, the first person to buy after that uh, SC13D filing from Martin Shkreli came out. Uh, and uh, I was at my computer. I'm a day trader. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, all that was uh, luck. But then my news program, also ha- pays for two direct connections to the SEC. Uh, so then I got that probably about maybe a tenth of a second uh, before anybody uh, else. Sorry. Uh, yeah, before uh, uh, lots of other people. And then it takes me a, a few seconds to read it. And, and the filing was not such – it was not so obvious that the – and the stock was uh, illiquid enough uh, that there aren't going to be algorithms trading it. But uh, again, that can, that kind kind of stuff can matter. Uh, so, how you get the filings if you're going to try to fi- uh, trade based on these filings coming coming out, uh, know how fast it is that you're getting them and how fast other people are getting. Them. But you also have to have that. You know, you've got you got to have that skill as well. Yeah, you need to have the skill of reading because, stuff uh, quickly. We, yeah, we we see that especially with like the algos and press releases. I mean, yeah. sometimes I mean sometimes they they do the exact opposite because it's just people are just like, Hey, there's news or, you know, or whatever. So, so yeah, make sure you've got your skills. You know, it it doesn't matter if you get the news first, if you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, And I should add that a lot of people and a lot of newbies think, Oh, what's the easiest type of trade to do trading on the news, just get your news feed and just trade based on the headlines coming out. But that is a really hard trading strategy. I do that and I don't make money. 
<laughs> someday I will make money doing it, but I, I, I lost money last year doing that. I think I lost money the year before too. It's hard uh, being able to quickly evaluate the news and trade based on it. And, uh, Doing well, you that see face- that. I mean, I mean, I mean, the the especially like newer traders will struggle with, you know, you'll see something like like Apple announces record earnings and the yeah. price goes down, and they're like, "What's going on?" You know. So, yeah, it all depends on expectations. Yeah. So uh, I'd I'd add the same caution about trading, trying to trade on the news of SEC filings, unless you fully understand everything and you're really really smart, you're probably going to lose money doing it, even if you're super fast, uh, because again. Uh, an example, a recent example, uh, there was an SEC filing uh, that came out. It was an SC13G on uh, Memetics, uh, MDXG, which is sort of scam biotech company, really difficult financial situation. So this big uh, well-known investor or hedge fund bought shares in it. Uh, well, what was the hedge fund's name? It's LSV Asset Management. Uh, you guys have probably never heard of them. Uh if you see that filing, hey, that's that's good news. I know that they're purely a quant shop. All they do is look for you know price uh, earnings ratios and book values and that sort of stuff. Uh, so they're not coming out. It's not a big thing saying, oh, this company's not a fraud. They're just looking at the numbers and it's a small investment for them. So it's not very meaningful. Well, so, yeah, that's that's again, yeah, too. If it's if it's like one one hundredth of their assets, you know, it yeah, could it just be matter. some speculative little eye, you know, some. They just hired some intern that had this idea, you know, yep. it's not, it's like, they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll throw a hundred grand at it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. So just, uh, I want to caution people against trying to trade based on uh, filings right as they come out. That's really hard. Just like trading news as it comes out. Uh, yeah. I try to understand filings and I think, uh, we've done a good job explaining how to understand offerings and, uh, where those might be meaningful and how you can use that information to avoid bad trades or potentially make good trades uh, uh, with short selling. Well, I would like to thank you again, Michael, and to the listeners out there, be sure to check out episode 38. Uh, that was the episode where we went into a lot of Michael's history. And uh, you know, I think we went through a lot of great information here, but it was only 45 minutes or so. You can check out um, how to read SEC filings by Michael Good. It's a DVD. I think it's eight or 10 hours long. You can really get in depth. And as I mentioned in the beginning, if, if we talked to, if we skipped over a term that you want, uh, you know, some elaboration on, hit us in the comments and, uh, maybe, maybe I'll answer it or maybe we'll have Michael back again. So, uh, would like to thank you for listening and thanks again for being on again. Thank you, Tim. Hi, this is Aaron, aka Double A Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog. Preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, Give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City.